0: Bibles once again to 1st Thessalonians. It's uh, good to be back in 1st Thessalonians, and um, interestingly enough, we find ourselves at a very appropriate text for the beginning of a new year as we think about what ministry is all about. Um, what we exist for as the church, what we should expect from our leaders and the kinds of things in our leaders that we should follow their example. So as we come back to 1 Thessalonians, uh, we're at chapter 2, and I just briefly want to remind you of what Paul has been talking about in chapter 1. So since he introduced himself as the author of the letter, uh, he has been telling the Thessalonians why he and his fellow ministers are grateful For them. He's done this uh, by way of telling the church in Thessalonica what he's been praying for them. He tells them uh, what he has been thanking God for them, what it is about them that makes him particularly grateful. And I mean, I'm sure if you think about it, Paul could come up with lots of reasons why he's grateful, but these are the particular reasons he focuses on, and thus things that we ought to be grateful for in the church as well. The two categories of his thanksgiving for the church in Thessalonica concern their conversion. ...and their uh, imitation, their conversion and and their imitation. So uh, there's several evidences of their conversion that he's mentioned. So he's talked about their faith and their endurance and their hope in Jesus. He's grateful for their hope in Jesus. He's talked about the fact that God has chosen them since before the foundation of the world. So he's he's grateful for their election. And uh, he also thanks God for the fact that they've heard and responded rightly to the gospel... And those are things that I, too, am grateful for the church here, uh, for your faith, for your election, and for the fact that you've responded to the gospel rightly. Now, he also thanks God for their imitation. And there's uh, uh, several things that are evidence of that imitation. Uh, and so he notes in verse 6 that they had followed his example. He had, they had imitated him and Timothy and Silas. He talks about the fact that they've become a model church. And then finally, he talks about how they had become known for their faith for their proclamation of the word, for their hatred of idols, for their worship of God, and finally for their anticipation of the return of Jesus. So Paul is grateful for the church in Thessalonica. He's grateful to God for them, and he wants them to know it. But now that he has made that clear, he wants to tell them something about himself and Timothy and Silas. He wants to tell them about their ministry. And this is what he says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, the, the Thessalonians had become quite the example to the other churches uh, around them, a shining example, you might say. But it's important that they recognize that that did not happen all by themselves. That wasn't by accident. In fact, God had sent three men to them, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And it was imperative that they understand what the ministry of these three men was about so that we now can know what a godly ministry is is all about. So Paul tells the church in Thessalonica what their ministry was all about so that you and I can know what a godly ministry is all about. So the Thessalonians they now know of Paul's gratitude for them, but now they need to know about the ministry through which God worked so that they would have something to be grateful for. And there are four things about this kind of ministry that we will address this week, and four things that we will address next week. That's why I read verses 1 through 12 today. We will just consider verses 1 through 6. And the first four things we learn about a godly ministry is that, number one, it has the right purpose. Number two, that it has the right power. Number three, that it has the right reason. And number four, that it has the right motives. So four things that mark a godly ministry, four things that you should be looking for in every church. They have the right purpose, the right power, the right reason, and the right motive. So what we're going to do today is we are going to think about Paul's ministry to the church in Thessalonica, and we're going to apply that to here at Gospel Light and what the ministry here should be about. Now, there will be some things in this text that really apply particularly to ministers to pastors to leaders in the church and this will be helpful for you to know what you should expect from your pastors but there will also be some things here which will apply to us all things that we should see in pastors and in their ministries but also things that we should see in all of God's people because in one sense we are all ministers we are all servants of the gospel so let's get into our text right off the bat uh, and the first thing Paul tells us about his ministry in Thessalonia. Uh, sorry, Thessalonica, is that it was a ministry with a purpose. He says here, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, that second part could otherwise be translated, uh, for instance, by the CSB, that our visit with you was not without result. Uh, The NIV says that our visit to you was not a failure. And uh, the New English translation says that our coming to you has not proven to be purposeless. So to say it was not in vain is to say that it was not without result, that it was not a failure, that it was not purposeless. Paul did not go to Thessalonica just for fun. He did not just think on a lurch, hey, I'd like to see Thessalonica. It's quite a a city of economy and and, uh, it'd be nice to see. No. When he goes there with Timothy and Silas, he goes there for a particular purpose. And Paul wants the church in Thessalonica to know that the purpose they went there to accomplish was, in fact, accomplished. He, he he And and they knew this. He says, you know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain, was not without purpose. And why is it that they know? Because they, in fact, are the evidence that Paul's purpose was accomplished. Because Paul went there to start a church, essentially, which we'll get into what that means. Uh, But uh, but Paul wants to know they had a purpose. And, you know, many churches these days have extensive and elaborate purpose statements. Uh, You'll know, you'll go to their websites and you'll see long purpose statements that are worded in many different ways. Uh, sometimes you'll go to a church and you'll see it posted in their bulletin for churches that still print bulletins. And, you know, I, I got no problem with these purpose statements. Many times they're, they're good, they're, they're, they're biblical. I, I'm sure many months of thought have gone into some of these purpose statements. I'm sure that many hours of prayer have been engaged in uh, to come up with these purpose statements. I'm sure that even in many cases it's very helpful for these churches to have extensive purpose statements and you might be asking yourself, hmm, we don't have one of those purpose statements, and you would be absolutely correct. I mean, I think that these purpose statements are helpful, in, and at least they indicate that these churches recognize that they have a purpose, and it keeps their purpose front and center, center. So I'm all for it. But when it comes to the purpose of the church, I guess I just think about it in a much more simplistic way. You see, if, if anybody ever asks me, what is our purpose statement as gospel light, or what my purpose statement is, particularly in pastoral ministry, I usually respond with three words: to make disciples. To make disciples, and I think that's in fact how Paul would answer if you asked Paul what his purpose statement was. And I think that because when he describes his ministry in Thessalonica in verse four, he tells us that he was entrusted with the gospel, and then he says in verse 2 that he declared the gospel of God to the church in Thessalonica. And you ask, well, what does that have to do with making disciples? Well, of course, that's how you make disciples, is by declaring the gospel. If you want to make disciples, you have to declare the gospel, as Paul tells the church in Rome. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. So the word of Christ, the gospel must be proclaimed if you wish to make disciples. And making disciples is what the church is all about, of course. You you might be surprised that we don't call the Great Commission the Great Commission, because Jesus called it the Great Commission. Jesus, in fact, did not call it the Great Commission. We call it the Great Commission, but it's rightly called the Great Commission. I've said Great Commission too many times. I'm sorry. Nevertheless, it's called this... Because it is the commission that is given after Jesus' death, right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He has one last chance before he ascends to the throne to rule and reign to say something to the disciples. And this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It is the great commission because there is no greater commission. There is no greater purpose that the church has than to make disciples. That's that's what our purpose statement is as a church. Make disciples. And that means that the gospel must be preached so that people can be converted. That is that they can go from being in a state of receiving the wrath of God to a state of Receiving the grace of God. It means that they can go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. It means that they can go from being a, a, a member of the a kingdom of this world to being a member of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so the gospel must be preached so they can be converted. And, and then churches must be, uh, must be planted or must exist in places so that there's somewhere for people to be baptized into and somewhere where they can be taught the whole counsel of God's word. So that they might obey God's commands. I mean, I, I think it, it's quite easy. I, I don't think our purpose needs to be complicated. If you want a more extensive purpose statement, this is as far as I'm willing to go. Seven words. Okay? We can do two words or we can do seven words. Seven is as far as I'm willing to go. Edify the saints and evangelize the lost. But ultimately, that just means to make disciples. Disciples. Because when you evangelize the lost and they get converted, they become a disciple. And then they continue to, to live as a disciple, to learn to be a disciple. They never cease to be a disciple. So I'll give you edify the saints and evangelize the lost. But making disciples is good enough for me. It's good enough for Paul. It's good enough for Jesus. So, you know, it should be good enough for us. And if that is not our purpose, or if we have some other purpose, uh, we are in big trouble. Because then we're ministering in vain. Uh, we're, we're, we're existing for nothing. We have, we have no purpose whatsoever if we're not following the God-given purpose that we have been given. And sadly, there are many churches today that have lost sight of their God-given purpose. Many churches, in fact. There are many churches who have decided that their purpose is to make those who attend feel comfortable. And to make sure that they leave entirely unoffended. And so they say little about God's wrath, little about hell, and little about the blood of Jesus. I mean, who wants to talk about that, right? There are other churches who have decided that their purpose is to make lots of money. And so they preach the prosperity gospel, telling you that if you come to Jesus, you will be healthy and wealthy. And if you do not become wealthy, and you cease to be healthy, then guess what? You haven't had enough faith. There are other churches that have decided, most recently, that their purpose is to be woke. And so they preach a message of social justice, and they split up the congregation into two groups. Uh, and those groups are based upon what race you are, and depending upon what race you are, that's how we determine whether you're racist or, or not. Then there's churches who have decided that their purpose is to be inclusive, which means that you can live in unrepentant sexual sin and still be a member in good standing at these churches, too many churches have lost sight of their purpose, which is to make disciples. Because if they knew of their purpose, and if they held strong to their purpose, then what would they do? They would preach the gospel. If they they lose sight of their purpose, guess what? They lose sight of the gospel. And so we must hold on to our God-given purpose, because to minister for any other reason than to make disciples is To fail in ministry it is to be purposeless it is to be without result in fact it's to be with ill result so if our purpose here at gospel light is to make disciples we will not labor in vain instead we will preach the gospel in season and out of season so we uh we must have the right purpose just as paul and timothy and silas did now as we move on we uh, learn something about ministry something that Jake and I have learned on many occasions, many, many occasions, too many occasions, in fact. Uh, And it is that ministry can be very, very hard. It can be very tough sometimes. Fortunately for you, you often don't get to be privy to the things that make ministry tough. And that's rightfully so. But you still need to know that ministry can be very, very, very hard. And Paul knew this. He says in verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated as Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, Paul there references the suffering that he experienced in Philippi. Uh, And some of you might be familiar with that. I don't know when the last time you read the book of Acts uh, was. If you do a Bible reading in a uh, year in a a Bible reading plan in a year, then it was probably a long time ago that you read Acts, but you'll be reading it again soon. Uh, so what was going on in in Philippi where this suffering uh, uh, erupted for Paul is that he uh, had this young lady that was tormenting him and causing trouble for his ministry, and so this woman was uh, tormented by a demon, and he cast out this demon. Now, this woman had been uh, uh, um, telling people's fortunes. She had uh, a demon at work in her, and she was thus had the power to tell people's fortunes. Now, when Paul cast out that demon, guess what? <laughs> no more fortunes. And, and this made the owners of this uh, servant girl very angry. And so when they discovered that she would no longer be able to tell people's fortunes and thus no longer able to make money for them, we read in Acts 6, uh, 16, verse 19, that they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted not just a few blows, but many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, that's where the story gets exciting, but I'm leaving that for now. You can go read that later. Uh, The point I want to make here, these men were publicly shamed. Their garments were removed from them, and they were beaten, senseless, and then put in prison. Something you would think that might discourage someone from gospel ministry. But it's not so with Paul. After their mistreatment in Philippi, after they run out of Philippi, they move on to Thessalonica, and guess what happens? Mistreated again. Paul and his fellow ministers stayed on mission, and they proclaimed the gospel, and they did this regardless of cost. And the question that you should be asking right now is, why? Why would they do this? Why would you run into the fire, so to speak? Well, there's only one reason. Paul tells it to us. In verse 2, in the second half, he says we had boldness in our God. Or you could say they were emboldened by God, as the CSB puts it. As I said, gospel ministry is not always easy. But when there is conflict or suffering in ministry, you can bet that it will be absolutely impossible without boldness. Surely, I think we can agree, wherever your, whatever your stance was on COVID and COVID measures with government, uh, the last few years have taught us uh, that hard times can come upon God's people and upon those who minister to God's people. I can uh, assure you uh, that I have not experienced uh, more difficult two years in ministry than from 2020 to 2022. Uh, I can assure you, there were times where I was ready to hang hang them up. Uh, I was ready to turn them in, and and surely you can understand this uh, by the number of pastors who did. Uh, pastors hung them up. Churches closed down because it was just it was just too hard. I still feel that way sometimes. You know, COVID is past, but there are times when I've had enough. You know, uh, when situations that you thought were behind you come in front of you again, when people continue to say things about you that are not necessarily true, uh, when you have to deal with situations that are just very taxing upon you, it's tempting in ministry you must be prepared for people to not like you and in fact you need to be prepared for your best friends to become your worst enemies it has happened and not just once i wish i could say it was just once but people will not like you people will say unkind things about you you might even end up being charged by the law or being put in jail You could even end up facing bodily harm or maybe even death at some points in history and in some parts of the world. And if you want to keep on, if you want the right power, there is only one source of such power, God himself. There is only one reason why men enter the ministry and stay there. It is because of God himself and his power. You will need divine boldness like Paul and Timothy and Silas if you wish to persevere in ministry. That is what you should expect from the leaders of your church. You should expect boldness from God. You should expect divine courage. You should expect a a spiritual backbone. There is no room in Christian ministry for timidity or cowardice. There is no room for weak men. We need strong men in the church who know where the right power comes from, right? There's many men, many men in ministry today who uh, appear to have boldness. They are bold, but it generally comes out in arrogance and pride. The boldness that we are looking for is boldness that comes from God. But, you know, that's also something that God's people should pursue, isn't it? Don't we all need boldness? Don't we all struggle with courage? Uh, Don't we all experience timidity and fear that uh, that that situation comes up where we can finally share the gospel? There's just this wide open door and... Oh, no. You know, we we need this divine courage. We need this divine boldness because we will be tempted to call that which is sin, not sin. Because that's what society says. We will be tempted to not share the gospel. And so we must ask God for this divine boldness. We must be strong. We must, as Paul tells the church in Corinth, act like men. And while, yes, that has a specific application to men, it also, he spoke it to the entire church. Men are known, uh, godly men are known for their courage. And so we all must act like men in that sense. We all must have courage to do what God has called us to do. So we, we need to have the right purpose and we need to have the right power. But we also need to have the right reason. There are a lot of different reasons why things get done in, in ministry uh sometimes too many times things are done in the name of pragmatism right it it works that's what pragmatism is you do it because it works not because it's what's best but because it works sometimes things get done in ministry because someone who contributes a lot to the church wants it to happen that way you know i gave that thing to the church i can take that thing back I've seen it happen many times sometimes things get done in ministry uh, poorly or they don't get done at all because of laziness and sometimes things get done in ministry because of fear of the repercussions of doing it any other way, because that's how it's always been done. There are many reasons for why things get done in ministry, but they all boil down to two. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we do things in ministry to please God, or we do things in ministry to please man, right? Whether it's, it's the person making the decision to please himself or to please others. But we either please God or please men. And in verse 4 Paul makes clear who he ministers to please. But just as we've been approved by God, he says, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, let me start by saying, you know, uh, it's, it's all right if I preach the gospel and you are all pleased by it, right? Because then I've preached the gospel and I have pleased man, but I have not done it to please man. I have done it to please God. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying what he does. He declares the gospel to please, to please God. Now, that's not always easy, as I said, because you need to say things in particular that will make people not like you. I mentioned earlier that uh, being in ministry will mean that people will not like you. You say, why is it that they won't like you? Well, Jake and I can uh, can uh, make you rest assured that we could say things that would make people like us. It would be very easy to do things that would make people like us. And in many cases, we have been tempted to do so. People don't like to hear that they are sinners. People do not like to hear about God's wrath and that they are living in God's wrath and are facing will face his just punishment of the wicked in hell, lest they repent. Uh, people most certainly do not like to be called to account Nor do they like to be told that they will be excommunicated from the church of God if they do not. It's very hard to call sin what God calls sin in this day because society, the government, calls it virtue. It's hard to tell people constantly that they are not good and that they in fact need saving. To to summarize... The kind of ministry that will result in people not liking you uh, is the kind of ministry that is based upon the truth. And that is what a ministry that pleases God is about. It's about the truth. He says uh, uh, in verse 3, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. No, it's all about the truth. A ministry that is pleasing to God, then, is one which guards against deception and is founded upon truth and purity. And, excuse me, what that means is that while the truth must be preached, of course, we we all know that, that's obvious, there's more to it than that. Decisions must be made based upon the truth. And also, leaders must lead in accordance with the truth. It's not just about what we say, it's about how we lead also. And we must also stand up for the truth, and we must defend the truth. In short, a godly ministry must be entirely undergirded and sustained by the truth because anything else will not please God. So we have the right purpose and the right power, and we need to have the right reason. But the last thing we get to, the trickiest thing I might say, is we need to have the right motives. Now, motives uh, in ministry, motives in, in life... Um, cannot be minimized or, or like, just missed or brushed over. You know, we don't talk about motives that much. Uh, But thankfully, uh, Paul has talked about motives and having right motives in ministry. Now, when it comes to motives, the first thing I think that we should acknowledge is that ultimately, ultimately, only God truly knows our motives, right? We learned that in uh, 1 Samuel many, many months ago, when God tells Samuel, the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now that means a lot more, but it, it, it doesn't mean less than the fact that God knows your motives every single time, every, every single time. He does not just know what you do. He knows why you do it. That should be scary. That, that, that should be reason enough to encourage us to guard our motives don't just be concerned about what you do be concerned about why you do it but i'm gonna say something that might seem controversial here um but if we look at our text we'll find out that it really shouldn't be and it's this i do not think that this should prevent us from attempting to discern people's motives i know it it it, it sounds controversial for me to tell you to try to discern other people's motives uh, like try to get into people 's hearts something that God says you cannot do uh, I, I will explain myself here i 'm not just going to leave it at that um, so the way that you sh- you should attempt to discern people 's motives um, something you will not not do perfectly right you, you will get it wrong sometime you 'll think the best of something somebody and then it'll bite you in the it'll, it'll, uh, you'll realize that was a mistake, right? Sorry. <laughs> At the pulpit right now, folks. Okay. Um, it, it's going to get you in trouble, right? I, I mean, I would rather you think the, the best of people and get yourself in trouble that way than to always think the worst of people, right? Because sometimes you'll think the worst of people and, and, and it'll surprise you, right? In a really good way. Um, So so you're not going to get it right every time. But I still think that you should try to discern people's motives correctly. And the way that you do that is by doing exactly what God says that we do. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. That's what you do. If you want to try to discern somebody's motives, look on the outward appearance. Because oftentimes we can rightly discern a person's motives by... Looking at their actions or considering their, their words. So let me illustrate by considering what Paul says about his motives. The first thing he says is that his motive was not to flatter. He says, we never came with words of flattery as you know. As you know. Now, now, now flattery, we all understand what flattery is, right? Flattery I- I- is saying something, but not Sincerely. It's, it's saying words of praise, whether they're deserved or, or not. It's, it's saying words that unnecessarily elicit favor from their audience. So those words could be true, couldn't they? But he says that you know that we didn't come with words of flattery which means that they discerned what his motive was. How did they discern what his motive was? They listened to his words, and they could tell that his words were sincere. They could tell that uh, these words of praise that he gives in chapter 1 were deserved, and he, they could tell that they were not uh, intended to unnecessarily elicit favor from them. So they attempted to discern uh, their motives by listening to their words, and they discerned that their words were not words of flattery. You see, when it comes to gospel ministry, there is no room for flattery, because if you have been saved by the gospel, then you know the gospel is offensive. The gospel offends, and so we can't have ministry. And in Paul's day, there were many whose motive was flattery, which is why he tells the church in Corinth, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And you know, I mean, I think we all know things have not changed. If you want pastors to tell you what you want to hear, you can find churches where they will do that. If you want ministers to make you feel good about yourselves, whether you should feel good about yourself or not, there's churches who will do that. If you want leaders in the church to scratch your itching ears, there are lots of scratchers everywhere around us in churches everywhere. There are plenty of churches where you can find what you want, but if you want to hear the gospel week in and week out, and you want to be called out for your sin, if you want to be taught the whole word of God, even the hard parts, if the truth is what you want to hear, if repentance is what you want expected of you, then watch out for flattery on the lips of your pastors. Because if flattery is on our lips, you can be relatively certain that The motive is to flatter. But likewise, be on guard against flattery on your own lips. Because while there is no room for flattery in ministry, likewise, there is no room for flattery in the lives of God's people. For as God's word testifies, a flattering mouth works ruin. The next thing Paul tells the Thessalonians about proper motives in ministry is that godly ministry is not motivated by by greed, He defends his ministry by saying that he and Timothy and Silas did not come to Thessalonica. We see this in verse 5 with a pretext of greed. Now, uh, let me just go on record as, as saying um, that this does not at all mean that uh, gospel ministers should not be compensated for their work. Uh, Paul makes this clear when he tells Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So if a man is going to be free to minister full-time, he must look to the church for compensation so he can take care of himself and his family. And the church should be generous to those in full-time gospel ministry, something I know you know because you all show it. The problem, once again, here is motives is a man ministering because he wants money, because he wants things. A desire uh, for more is never appropriate for a, a gospel minister. Now, I mean, it's entirely possible that they're not making enough and they need more, but it's the desire for more, an unhealthy desire more i am going to tell you something that you are going to be surprised to hear now i've said this before so some of you might not be surprised but you may be surprised to know that many people enter pastoral ministry for the money now i i mean it's not an especially lucrative career here in canada uh, but in parts of the united states it very much is It, it very much is and for men who are lazy and looking for more money in their pockets the pastoral ministry can be a, a very, how do I put it, a, a, an easy place for them to pursue more. Um, there are parts, uh, uh, corners of evangelicalism where, where pastors can even get exorbitant book deals and, uh, and outrageous conference speaking fees. I mean, you would think this doesn't happen amongst Christians, but it does all you have to do is uh, look into the ministries of big-name evangelicals and ask them what their uh, expenses are for a trip to speak at your church. Uh, the reality is, is that many men go into ministry because they want to have bigger houses and fancier cars and sneakers, which would cost more than a month of your salary. It happens, I promise you, and, and it's not good. You see, there is a big difference between a minister being provided by, for the generos- by the generosity of God's people and a minister expecting more money than he knows what to do with or, or having an unquenchable desire for money. I mean, the difference is greed, always wanting more. Whether you have enough or not, always wanting more. There is no room for greed as a motive for ministry. Paul tells Timothy that leaders in the church must not be lovers of money. Right? That's the problem, is to be lovers of money. And, of course, there's no room for greed in the life of God's people either. Paul again tells Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So uh, he addresses uh, the motive of flattery and the motive of greed. Uh, the last thing he addresses when it concerns godly ministry and motives is glory-seeking. So you can do things in ministry to, uh, to make yourself look good, or you can do things in ministry to make God look good, but you can't do, do both. They don't mix. So Paul defends his ministry in Thessalonica in verse 6. Back to verse six, he says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. I like one commentator puts it like this. He says that Paul is claiming here that he did not throw his weight around as an apostle. I mean, Paul was an apostle. He was sent directly by Jesus himself. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and says, I am sending you. I mean, come on, if anything is going to give you reason to boast in yourself, it's going to be that. Look at me. I'm an apostle. I'm a capital A apostle. You guys are all just small A apostles, Paul could have said. But no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't seek glory for himself. He seeks glory for God. And there's no room for glory seeking or self-focus in ministry. As Paul once again tells Timothy, that leaders of God's people must not be puffed up with conceit. And there's no room for glory-seeking and self-focus in the Christian life either. For the counsel of God's holy word is that we must do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, we must count others more significant than ourselves. So, motives matter. Motives matter, both in ministry and in life. When it comes to the motives of others, like those we choose to minister to us in the church, we cannot see a person's heart, but we can see their actions and we can hear their words and most often, actions and words reveal a person's motives. Again, not perfectly every time, but most often. It's as Jesus once said to a bunch of very bad ministers with very bad motives. He said, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil, right? So, so their, their, their words were actually not revealing their, their motives. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So they were speaking good, but there was evil in their hearts, and so their words that may have sounded good were in fact evil. So if you want to know a person's motives, listen to their words, and while you won't have a perfect record, God will, and oftentimes you will have a good idea of why they do what they do. You know, I I would hope that you can say of your leaders in the church that you know that they're doing what they do for the right reasons. They might not always do it the right way. No, scratch that. They will never always do it the right way. But you should be able to say that you believe your pastors and your elders are doing things for the right reasons. You might disagree with what they do, but you ought to know that they're doing it to please God. And then you should also... Be on guard to keep your own motives pure. Uh, You should seek to do what you do for the right reasons. Because God sees into the depths of our souls. And he does not just care about what we do. He cares about why we do it. So motives matter in ministry and in life. So today we have covered half of this text. Verses 1 through 6, we've learned four things about a godly ministry as we have considered the ministry of uh, Paul and Timothy and Silas. It must have the right purpose, which is to make disciples. It must have the right reason, which is to please God. It must have the right power, which is boldness from God. And it must have the right motives, which means it must be done without flattery, greed, and glory-seeking, to say the least. Uh, This is the kind of ministry that we must seek and support here at Gospel Light, because these are the marks of a godly ministry. And uh, when these marks are present in a ministry, when these things are seen, it will result in a ministry through which the glorious gospel is declared, that Christ took on flesh and lived a perfect life as both God and man that he uh, died for the sins of the wicked, that he defeated death and rose from the grave, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he reigns and rules, and that he will return. So I ask, are you ready for his return? If you are, then seek to support a godly ministry in the church and follow the examples of those in ministry as we seek to minister with the right purpose, for the right reason, with the right power and right motives. And if you aren't ready for Jesus' return, today, then this could be the day of salvation for you. You could be transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. You can go from being a recipient of God's wrath to a recipient of God's grace. You can go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God today. Right here, even as you sit, you can turn to Christ. You can trust in Christ alone For your salvation, you can believe that he lived the perfect life that you could never live, that he died the death that you deserve, and that he rose to give you life. Come to Jesus with faith. Trust in him as Savior and Lord. Do not wait until it is too late, because none of us is promised tomorrow. Repent of your sin and believe in the gospel. Then, then pour your life into a church where you find the marks of a godly ministry clearly exhibited.